Hello, and welcome to this podcast of Sunday Sermons from Concord United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll find this message to be meaningful, insightful, and a refreshing part of your daily walk with God. Please feel free to share this podcast with family, friends, or anyone else who might benefit from it. This podcast is part of the digital ministries of Concord United, and we are grateful that you have chosen to experience worship and God's Word with us. For more information about Concord United and its ministries, please visit our website at concordunited.org. Good morning. Always a delight to be with you in this capacity. Many years ago, I was invited, received a special invitation from the county in which I was living to be a part of a special group that was going to meet for a couple of weeks at the county courthouse. As memory serves, I was juror number five. And I remember being fascinated by a jury trial because it looked so different than the trials I had seen on television. Uh, There was no surprise confessions. There was no exciting moment from the gallery. It was all very, very tame. But what interested me most was at the beginning of the jury trial was a process of stipulations. Now, a stipulation is a fact that both parties agreed actually happened. So they didn't need to argue this in court. Both sides agreed that this event, which was being litigated, happened on a Tuesday. We don't need to waste the court's time and, more importantly, waste the jury's time in arguing a fact that both sides agree on. And today, we begin a new sermon series on one of the most difficult and challenging aspects of our faith, trying to understand the Holy Spirit. And as I thought about this and and, and as I prepared what I hope will be an interesting and meaningful sermon, I thought back to my jury days, and I thought that you would appreciate a little bit of a time saver by offering a stipulation. And what we must realize and recognize is that a full understanding of the Holy Spirit is just not humanly possible. And if you think if this sermon or any of the following sermons are going to reveal the entire depth of the Holy Spirit, you are going to be terribly disappointed because we're dealing with mystery. And by mystery, I don't mean the type of mystery like an Agatha Christie novel or a Sherlock Holmes story or even a Scooby-Doo story where we have the clues and if we just look at the clues and use our powers of logic and deduction, we will reach that aha moment where the puzzle is completely solved. That's not going to happen because mystery in the theological sense is defined as that which is beyond human capacity to understand and has not yet been revealed by God. The Holy Spirit is part of the Christian doctrine of the Trinity, meaning that the Holy Spirit is one of the three persons of God. And and discussions of the Holy Spirit and the Trinity can go into the theological weeds pretty quickly. So we just have to understand that it is simply impossible to have a full understanding of the divine. To say that we understand fully the Holy Spirit means that we understand fully the Trinity, which means to say we fully understand God. I think you can see the problem. We simply don't have the frame of reference or the capacity to understand the divine. It would be akin to expecting our household pets to understand the internal combustion engine. It's just not going to happen. So, the stipulation is, 
this is mystery. And we can maybe get a clearer sense of of what the Holy Spirit does and maybe come up with some better definitions and we can refine our thinking a little bit. Now, if you have been a part of the Methodist tradition or have studied the Methodist heritage and tradition, you have most likely been introduced to something called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. It is a system by which we can look at difficult theological questions or issues. Now, it was never put together by John Wesley himself. It was put together and conceived by a group of scholars who were very familiar with Wesley's writings. They were familiar with Wesley's sermons, and they discovered a pattern that when Wesley was addressing a difficult theological issue, there were four questions that he used as tools to help him drill down to to maybe a closer answer. And the first one, the first question is, what does Scripture say? The second is, what does the church tradition say about this issue? Now, this doesn't mean the unique traditions of a local church. For instance, at Concord, we have a tradition of observing Holy Communion on the first Sunday of each month. This doesn't mean that every church observes that tradition. They may have their own traditions. Tradition in the Wesleyan sense means what was said by the earliest church. What was said, thought, believed by the people who were closest in time to Jesus or the apostles? What were the apostles teaching? What were the church fathers writing about and thinking about? Did they wrestle with this question? What did they have to say? It's an important guide. The third side of the quadrilateral is reason. What makes logical sense to us? What is practical knowledge and not fantasy or something that we make up? What is reasonable to believe based on real-world facts that we know? And then the final leg of the quadrilateral is, what does my experience tell me? And experience doesn't mean the regular day-to-day occurrences that happen to us. Experience in this sense means, what, what do I feel? What does my spirit tell me? What is the conviction that I feel? So since we are today dealing with one of the most difficult mysteries of our faith, the Holy Spirit, perhaps the best way to approach it is to use a form of the Wesleyan quadrilateral. So let's begin with what Scripture says. Today we're going to look at two Scriptures that show the Holy Spirit has been at work in the lives of his people and in the world a lot longer before and a lot longer after than the day of Pentecost. In fact, we encounter the Holy Spirit first in the very opening lines of our Bibles. The Scripture says, In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, The earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I thought you said the Holy Spirit was there, but the Scripture only mentions a wind. In some Bible translations, the phrase, Spirit of God, is used instead of wind. In the ancient Hebrew language, The same word was used for wind, spirit, and breath. In fact, 
the both, both the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament, there's a very close correlation between the Holy Spirit and wind because the meanings of those are interchangeable. We still do this somewhat. We just did it in our doxology. Instead of singing Holy Spirit, we sang Holy Ghost because when we think of ghost and spirit, we use different words for the same understanding. In Ezekiel's vision of the Valley of Dry Bones, if you remember this story, what animated the dry bones? It was a wind. But the implication was clear that this is the Spirit of God that is working. On the day of Pentecost, the disciples who were gathered in that upper room heard the sound of a rushing wind. In fact, throughout the scriptures, there is this correlation between the Holy Spirit and wind. And it makes sense because we understand wind. And the wind has many of the same characteristics of the Holy Spirit. It is invisible, and yet we tangibly feel its presence. We can have a general idea of which direction the wind is coming from and where it is going to, but, but we never know exactly. And wind can swirl around and change directions without any way to predict it. Wind has enormous power. And while it can be somewhat harnessed and used productively, it can never be fully controlled. And it really isn't unreasonable for us to believe that invisible things are real. We take such things for granted often. The best example that I could come up with is thought itself. Thoughts are invisible. And yet we know that they are real. We've probably had hundreds or thousands of them just this morning. But even the most sophisticated technology can't decipher what an exact thought is. We have ways to monitor elect electrical activity. We have readouts that the, that the brain is, is firing some electrical force. And we can even see images of where the brain is being stimulated and which parts of the brain are being working, working. But we still have no way to say exactly, ah, she is thinking that Mike has now wandered off the Holy Spirit and wandered into spiritual or, or scientific talk. We can't monitor those things. And there's no piece of scientific equipment that can pinpoint exactly why there are times when things like the theme song of Gilligan's Island or Green Acres will pop into our brain and play over and over and over. If it's doing that now for you, you're welcome. <laughs> and if you're hearing one or both of those in your head, you are proving my point that the invisible can have a very real and very powerful presence. And the first followers of Christ and the believers who were part of a growing church, they understood this because they were experiencing it. They had long known that God had promised to pour out his spirit on everyone. That was written in the Hebrew prophets. And they had seen Jesus or had seen people who had known Jesus and had heard about Jesus and been with them. But now something new and different was being created by God in their very midst. They were seeing the power of God without seeing a physical presence of God. And it was making changes. It was transforming people. Those who had been timid disciples were now empowered by a courage that they had never shown before and a deep knowledge that they hadn't experienced before and that could only have come from God. There was a spirit, a Holy Spirit at work in the lives of believers. 
And we see this in Peter's sermon. After Pentecost had happened, Peter delivers a long sermon in the second chapter of Acts. And he says this to those who were hearing. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. This was an incredible message for those who originally heard it, and it still is an incredible message for us today. It means that everyone who is a part of the family of Christ has the very presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. It's not just for special people, not just for the ancient heroes of the faith, not just for those who have read more religious books or have prayed more. It's for everyone who has acknowledged their need for repentance and who has looked to Christ for redemption and forgiveness. We've just come out of the season of Christmas and we have heard the word again, Emmanuel, and we've been reminded of the promise of Emmanuel, that God was with us in the presence of Jesus. However, with the Holy Spirit, it's something deeper. It's not just God is with us. It is God within us. And it's both amazing and humbling to think that the presence that was at the very beginning of creation is the presence that has been given to each of us as that direct relational connection to an almighty God. And while we can never fully understand the divine nature of the Holy Spirit, we can at least appreciate and see some of the functions of that Holy Spirit. In both the Hebrew and Christian understanding, the Holy Spirit is the means through whom God communicates and establishes and strengthens relationship with God's creation. That's a lot of words. Let me repeat that. In both Hebrew and Christian understanding, the Holy Spirit is the means through whom God communicates and establishes and strengthens relationship with God's creation, including us. The Spirit was the breath that brought order out of chaos and through which God spoke, and a universe was created. The Spirit is the indwelling presence through which God speaks to us, through Christ. And the Spirit that lives in every believer strengthens relationships with other believers through a mutual communion that we have with each other and with God. The Spirit is the presence that actively and continuously works to transform God's people into the image and mind of Christ. And through unique gifts given to each of us, the Spirit works to transform the world into a reflection of God's kingdom. Now, each time I have the honor of being in this pulpit, I, I like to make sure that everybody has an activity that they can take home with them a little homework, if you will. And I've spent several minutes now explaining a few thoughts that I have on this mystery, that is the Holy Spirit, but I ask myself and I ask you the same question. And we should all ask this question after every worship experience. So what? What do we do with this information? How is it relevant? How is it important? What does it mean for my Monday through Saturday life? 
Well, I'm glad you asked. I think there are four main ways that we can gain a deeper understanding of how the Holy Spirit wants to work with us as individuals and with us as a family of faith and a community of Christ. And I wish they were easy. But like most steps in the discipleship journey, they are challenging in varying degrees. The first step is to access what you already have. Peter's promise of the Holy Spirit, remember, was not just to those who were within earshot of him. It was meant for everyone who believes in Christ. He makes it clear that the promise of the gift of the Spirit is for all who are followers of Christ. The same Spirit that inspired the apostles to proclaim Christ with boldness, the same Spirit that spoke through the Hebrew prophets to address injustice and oppression, and the same Spirit that inspired the psalmists with their creative expressions of God, that Spirit lives within you and me. We have the power to do outrageously bold things in the name of Jesus Christ. But we let our doubts and our self-deprecation keep us from accessing it. We think we're not ready. We think we're not worthy. We think it's too expensive. We think it will take too much time. We are just not able. As I've mentioned in previous sermons, God will not overpower our free will there is an element of creative partnership with God that we must engage with to be effective. For instance, there is an abundance of electricity that comes to my house every day. But if I never turn on a light switch, I stay in the dark and I stay in the cold. Now that's a pretty apt metaphor for how we can treat our relationship with God. That power is there to be accessed and to do things in the name of Jesus Christ. And the next step is one of the hard ones. Ask the Spirit for continued transformation. Transformation is so very hard for us to ask for because it involves two things that most of us avoid. Honest self-awareness and change. Most of us would rather stay ignorant of the areas in our life that could, that could use some work to be more Christ-like. And some of us are actually more comfortable with the chaos that we are comfortable in rather than the change that we don't know about. Transformation is painful. And I'm reminded of an analogy that C.S. Lewis offered in his book, Mere Christianity, about the work of the Spirit that is within us. Lewis says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He is, he's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew those jobs needed to be done, so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, adding a floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace because he intends to come and live in it himself. Part of asking for deep transformation means asking hard questions. 
what have I been, when have I been stubborn or rebellious towards God? Who have I failed to notice? What in my life do I need to get rid of? Where can I serve? How can I be more like Christ? And these are questions that we typically don't like to ask because the answers tend to be embarrassing and make us realize that when we judge ourselves against the model of Christ, we're far short of where we would like to be. But remember, the Spirit is given to us as a gift. It's a gift of love. And whatever embarrassing answers we discover, God already knows about. They're known to a God who has forgiven us, who loves us, and who is making us into a palace. The next step is to pay attention. When we ask for transformation, and we were asking for the Spirit's help, we should not be surprised when we find ourselves in a situation that demands of us what the Spirit offers. And maybe you've experienced some of these holy moments. I know I have. They're both a little frightening and and awe-inspiring. In moments that you may not expect, the Spirit may show up and will give you a voice that needs to be heard, a word that needs to be said, and an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Christ. Pay attention and look for those moments when they arrive and be grateful. And finally, this may be the most difficult step, act on the Spirit's leading. You have been called and you have been equipped with everything you need to do important work for God's kingdom. When you see that, that, that thing that somebody really should do something about, it's very possible you were the one to do something about it. When you, when you feel that, that, that quiet encouragement to take a step towards a dream that only God can fulfill, take the step. Act boldly. Act with courage. Right the wrong. Speak for those who can't be heard. As we go through this sermon series, it's important to remember that today, each day, we have within our being the very spirit of God. We are a church, a family of believers with an unlimited holy presence that calls us to be more and to do more than we can even imagine. We are connected to God, and we are connected to each other with the very power of God. And let us not allow anything to keep us from being transformed by that Holy Spirit into the likeness of Christ and from bringing the kingdom of God to our community and to our world. In the name of God the Creator, God the Savior, and God the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.